Singularity. Hello everyone, my name is Nicola aka Socrates and you're watching Singularity One-on-One. Singularity One-on-One is a regular podcast feature of Singularity Weblog where you can go and listen to it or download it in full. If you guys enjoy the show, you can support it and help me make it better in a couple of ways. One of them is to simply go and write a review on iTunes. Uh, You can also click the like button on YouTube or you can simply make a donation. Without further ado, let me jump in and uh, introduce our hot pursuit or a hot follow-up interview with uh, Peter Voss. Peter Voss is an entrepreneur, inventor, engineer, scientist, and an AI researcher. Or I, I should correct that and I should say one of the very few AGI researchers. And that's a big difference, uh, I think. Um, so this is only one among many reasons that he's very unique and I'm incredibly happy to have him back on the show. So welcome again, Peter. Yes, um, thank you. Thanks for having me again. Fantastic. So we had a sort of a decent the sort of general discussion last time, but we never actually had the chance to go in a little bit further into depth of, of many of the issues that we barely managed to touch upon. Now, I do have three or four favorite topics of mine that I want to jump in, but let me start by asking you, what do you think we should focus and talk a little bit more on ra- something that we didn't have the chance to do last time. Well, I think we covered uh, a broad spectrum of of issues last time. And as you say, we sort of touched on them lightly. There was a lot of ground we covered. So I'm I'm happy to pursue whatever you want to, you know, your your viewers have an interest in. Um, Though you may have, if if you want to get into deep philosophical debate on particular issues, you may have prepared for it more than I have. So (laughs) we'll see how that goes. Well, well, I I admit that I I am partial towards philosophy and ethics in Mm -hmm. particular, uh, but I wouldn't say I have prepared substantially for this other than I have given it some thought. And, and okay, and, and this is only actually one of, of four or five things that I want to discuss today. So let's just jump right into it and, and see where it takes us. So the sooner we okay. get it out of the way, the sooner right. we can move on to other things. So here's my greatest concern from the things that we talked about last time. And that's the basically the coupling between intelligence and morality. The claim that you make quite often, that higher intelligence leads to more ethical or moral decisions. So lead us through that process, because last time we we didn't have any chance for you to unpack it. Lead us through that process and show us how that would be the case. I mean, you did give us the the case of the Iraqi war uh, or the second uh, Gulf War, the the Iraq invasion. Uh, But give us some more meat here. Right. So um, I I guess one of the simplest ways to get into that is to kind of turn around and say, why do people often, you know, if we look at what most of us would regard as immoral behavior, um, and and of course, that's a whole another issue to say, how do we determine that? And I'm not sure that we're going to have time to go into it. But but clearly, there's some things that there's a lot of common ground and most people would agree Mm-hmm. Um, that, that something is immoral. 
So if we just take those clearer cases where there, there is agreement and you analyze why people um, do that. And um, I think in many cases, a very, very significant percentage of immoral behavior uh, is caused by um, uh, lack of knowledge um, or emotional or fear response or an emotional, let's call it more generally, uh, an emotional response. Uh -huh. um, you know, such as pushing buttons, you know, religiously or uh -huh. relationship-wise or ego, you know, sort of the whole spectrum of emotional responses. Uh, and then, as I say, lack of knowledge uh, or lack of consideration, thinking through the consequences. So maybe there, there are three categories, sort of the, the emotional response, uh, lack of knowledge and, and lack of thought. And my simple argument is that better intelligence um, basically mitigates all three of those to, to some significant extent. Uh, and I'm certainly not claiming that uh, it can in all cases uh, overcome that. I mean, I've certainly had experience having religious debates within Mensa. And, you know, there's some, some people who debated me under the carpet when, on religious things. And I mean, they were just so good in practice at that. And they were so good at deluding themselves that it would have taken more skill and patience than I possessed <laughs> to, um, to go, you know, to go through that. Now, quite frankly, I was impressed with the, the, the skill, the debating skills, you know. Uh -huh. And so, you know, that would be an example of where uh, an, an incredibly uh, patient a AI would go through and say, all right, let's 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 just stop here and see, you know, you just slipped one by me, you know, in terms of going from a premise to a conclusion or you introduced a, a weird premise and let's just, you know, spend the next three days talking about that particular item and then see if we, if you still agree. But having said that, yes, I, th I think people have a great capacity for deluding themselves. Um, so I'm, I'm not saying that, um, a rational agent will will in all cases be able to overcome that. Um, but the the other thing I mentioned in our, our previous talk was that if you have a trusted agent, and I think that's a big part of it. And I mentioned that in in, in the Gulf War in respect to that. Um, if we already had a trusted advisor who's given us good advice previously, where we wanted to do one particular action and it explained to us why that might not be. Uh, give us the desired outcome and gives us a better suggestion and we follow that suggestion and you know it leads to a, a good outcome. So if we have a trusted advisor and of an AI, um, we are more likely to to listen to it. I mean the same as with, with humans, you know. Um, and we are likely to be able to change people's minds for them to act more rationally and with more foresight. And and that's really the, the sort of the simple story of of how I believe, how I'm confident that people will be, will act more morally. I, I, I think I have a small agreement with you here in the sense that I, I do believe that uh, more knowledge would help us make better decisions. However, I want to stay away from equating more knowledge with intelligence necessarily. Uh, and as far as say the, the second Gulf War example goes, uh, the US did not have an AI uh, advisor but it had many other very good advisors. For example, the government of Canada, which is one of the closest allies of the United States. And we support, we have traditionally supported the US 90% of the time. The only exceptions have been the Vietnam War and the second Gulf War, that is the invasion of Iraq. In both, 
of those cases, we see clearly that Canada was right. Uh, and, and especially when it comes to the second Gulf War, the whole world came up with an endless supply of rational arguments why that shouldn't be happening. And yet, the people in charge and the population was kind of beaten up into a fervor of patriotism that basically had an overwhelming support. Yeah, sure, sure. But I'm not sure how that undermines my case. I mean, we don't have a rational advisor that, that people uh, trust. Um, and, you know, we're not in that in that mode. Uh, I mean, it's basically one person's emotion versus another person's emotion right now. And the decision making, I mean, you will grant that uh, in, in terms of public opinion and so on, has very little to do with facts and rationality. Absolutely. But the policy recommendations from Canada and infinite other places were very rationally argumented. Anyway, but let, let me try and say it mm. in a different way then. So, so here's, I would give you three reasons why I, I do not buy your argument, right? The first one is personal or subjective experience that I'll bring. The second is uh, historical, and the third is theoretical. So subjectively or personally, here's my, my experience and when I stopped judging people on intelligence. I was 18 years old, uh, and I was conscripted into the Bulgarian army forces uh, against my will. Uh, basically, the choice is you either go to jail or you go to the army. And for a number of reasons, I was sent into a punishment unit. Uh, where pretty much it's the law of the jungle, it's, it's survival mm. of the fittest, uh, more or less. And this was one place where I wasn't even sure if I'm going to make it the first couple of weeks. Uh, but, uh, so I actually slept a few nights with a loaded AK-47. Uh, but one thing that I learned very quickly there is that my previous sort of habit or presumption that I should be judging people based on their intelligence is absolutely false and actually could get you killed. Uh, because what I noticed is that it's not necessarily the most intelligent or smartest people that end up doing the right thing. Uh, in most cases, I saw people who have pretty much as low IQ as you can possibly imagine, uh, who were willing to sacrifice themselves or who are willing to step up and make the ethically right decision. So for me, that was the first sort of subjective sort of observation of, a, of the decoupling between intelligence and uh, ethics. But let me give you why this is actually apparent when you do a historical review, right? I mean, look at that issue historically. Take any case that you want. For example, Einstein. Einstein was absolutely shocked by how quickly the smartest of his colleagues in Germany embraced World War I and jumped in it with a fervent patriotism that absolutely dismayed him. Right? Those were some of the smartest people in the world, and yet uh, they made very poor ethical choices when it, came to, to, when it comes to, to the war. And, and I can give you endless other examples of that. Uh, your own homeland, uh, South Africa, right? The apartheid regime. There were a lot of amazingly brilliant people part of that regime, supporting that regime. Brilliant scientists in, in endless disciplines. I mean, South Africa had, scientifically speaking, very impressive accomplishments during the apartheid period. And yet, most of those people never stopped to actually question that. 
and we're happy to be part of it. Uh, so historically speaking, and even if you look at the business community, take for example Enron, WorldCom, uh, Lehman Brothers, like McKenzie used to test those people in Enron all the time. They were some of the quote smartest people coming from the best smartest Wharton School of Business, etc., etc. And they prided themselves for being the smartest people in the world, highest IQ, broadest knowledge, etc. Complete disregard for ethics uh, and, and morality, right? or uh, the effects of, of their actions, right? So I think, to me personally, historically, it's almost a truism apparent throughout history that there's complete decoupling. I mean, take Martin Heidegger, brilliant guy in so many ways, member of the Nazi party, never apologized for his support of Nazism, right? One of the smartest people of the 20th century. I mean, this was one of the reasons why uh, Sigmund Freud kind of was totally, uh, ended up totally condemning our whole civilization and wrote a whole book about that, right? And finally, if you look at it from a theoretical perspective, I would say this, your argument is sort of an economic cost-benefit analysis. A smarter rational agent would weigh carefully the cost and the benefits of the action and would therefore likely see that a moral action would give him greater benefit than, uh, than costs. And that's why a higher cost action, like for example invading Iraq, would not be undertaken. But I would say morality for me, and ethics in particular, is precisely doing the right thing when it doesn't pay for you to do that. Precisely when under a rational economically based analysis, you shouldn't be doing that. Uh, and, and I would say that's when you stand up for principle and that's when you're willing to sacrifice, in some cases when I was in the army, your life for what's right or for what's wrong. And if you're basing that on a rational analysis, uh, especially self-referring uh, to yourself, chances are you'd never undertake any such actions. Anyway, that's so much for my rant. So, so let, me, let me see how we can confront that. All right. Well, you certainly uh, gave it a good good rant there. Um, so, yeah, as I said, you probably have prepared more to give me a barrage of uh, arguments ag ag against that. And um, so, uh, you know, there are a couple of things, and uh, I don't know, you know, you, you covered a lot of grounds. So it's hard to remember all of the different points that you made. But uh, just because uh, you know, smart people did immoral things. Um, well, dumb people did immoral things too. So I don't know. You you kind of intimated that uh, you know, not so, intelligence smart, is not, not, the, not, so, the, not so smart people are likely to be more moral. You always try to no, no, no. turn turn that upside down. You know, no, no, absolutely not. I didn't mean to say that stupid yeah. people. And are... so let's look at historical evidence. I mean, in in terms of 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 knowledge and thinking and rationality, we are certainly seeing a decline of of uh, religions, uh, which I I see as as part of the the intelligence now. When you talk about human intelligence, of course, it's only one dimension of, of a human. Um, you know, I mean, the sort of sidekick of that is EQ, but more broadly uh, speaking, just generally the emotional profile of, of, of a person. And it is true that uh, um, very smart people are actually very, very good at rationalizing things. And, and that's sort of a, a downfall of 
of smart people, why smart people can, once, once they get into a certain ideology, um, they can rationalize better. Now, I'm talking about machine intelligence here, which, you know, decouples a lot of the, the um, uh, primal emotions that we have, the, you know, um, um, the survival-based um, survival emotions, I guess we could call them, um, and, and basically uh, help people overcome uh, where their emotions are really driving it and not their rationality. Because I think the examples that you, you, you're given, giving, to a large extent, I would say it's not the intelligence that made them. Uh, it's in spite of the intelligence. It's the intelligence that basically rationalized their, their emotional behavior. Um, so I, I guess I'm talking about different in type of intelligence than human intelligence. So therefore, I, w I would I would say your argument is does not quite work out that that way in saying um, you know smarter people are um, less likely to to be moral or are just as unlikely or just as likely to to be moral. Yeah. So what I'm saying is machine intelligence that that doesn't have those. Um, those base, base, basic instincts uh, driving it um, will help help us reason reason through things. And uh, I, I don't think we have uh, this is a place for us to go down that, that particular path. But I do want to just mention that I think we have a difference in our understanding of what morality is. You talk a lot about self-sacrifice and doing things that are against your interest as seeing being moral. Those are not primary things that I consider as moral. I think there's um, a somewhat different starting point we have on what uh, ethics is. So, um, you know, where your focus seems to be on self-sacrifice and doing things that are not in your interest, uh, I see that as a very minor component of, of morality. My main focus of morality is based on rational self-interest and where, where, in fact, the actions you take um, are in your interest um, and are in society's interest as well. Um, if you know, may, maybe we can discuss it in some detail. But I, be, before we do, I would I would really ask or anybody else who wants to debate is to to read a rather lengthy article I have on my website. If you uh, Google just rational ethics and Peter Voss, you'll get straight to it. I did spend probably several years actually pursuing that. So it is also a very strong interest of mine. Uh -huh. And as I'll link you, to it, definitely. And um, it's very interesting in discussions one has about, you know, politics. One very quickly finds out if you don't agree on what ethical foundations you have, you don't get very far talking politics. And when you have uh, ethical discussions, you find out if you don't agree on epistemology on how we know anything, then you don't get very far in agreeing on on ethics and mm -hmm. epistemology in turn is based on uh, you know metaphysics uh, of what actually exists and and one one really has to sort of work through the foundations uh, in in any meaningful philosophical debate because uh, you know if, one, if there's disagreement on the more fundamental issues you're really just going to keep talking past uh, each other mm -hmm. yeah i have to say i agree with you to the extent that uh, our starting premises may be a little bit different, uh, and I agree about the importance of epistemology and metaphysics and, and how that impacts on, on, uh, on ethics uh, inevitably. Mm -hmm. uh, however, I would say my, my take uh, is not necessarily that to say that uh, self-sacrifice is necessarily a good or a moral thing. 
Uh, I, I was just giving it as an as an example in which, uh, and, and there are many examples. So so let me let me give you another one. Uh, let's say I accept to two thirds of a degree, uh, or two thirds uh, uh, of the way. Your response to my first two criticism out of the three that I listed mm -hmm. before, right? So pers the personal and the historical one, you responded, I think, pretty well uh, with the fact that you are actually referring to machine intelligence, right? So n therefore, not human intelligence, and therefore, hopefully, we will be able to avoid or escape those other things that make us also human, that actually make us or subvert our rationality and, and right. despite of it, make us uh, undertake mm -hmm. highly moral action. So let's look at the, the third issue though, which is the, the theoretical issue. Uh, and, and where I claim that, that and, and I think you still haven't addressed that with respect to machine intelligence and how it's gonna help us in a situation in which the cost benefit analysis is against the ethical outcome. So in some cases, as I've said, it would be simply easier to exterminate the people uh, to, and, and that would lead to sort of ruthless efficiency uh, and sort of the shortest distance from point A to point B, which is your starting point on your goal achievement. Uh, if you do not take into consideration other ethical uh, things, which are not necessarily uh, pliable to a cost-benefit analysis. Okay, I, I, would, I would argue that uh, ethics is not deontological at all. So that, that basically um, you, you would be doing the right things. You wouldn't be murdering people because you would come to a conclusion that is not in your interest. And um, I just want to make sort of one, again, you know, my, my essay goes into a lot of that, but I just do one want to make one clarification here is that I do very much believe in principled behavior. And the reason for that is mm -hmm. we are, um, even with the smartest AI, there are a lot of uncertainties uh, in, in the world. There are a lot of decisions you need to make with incomplete information. You don't have enough time for it. And that, that is why principles are so important and, and that, you know, for example, lying and, you know, I, I know very quickly you, you'll come up with a counter example where you need to lie to people and I, I obviously totally agree no, with No, I that. will not actually. I will oh, not. okay. Well, I'm, I'm you, a Kantian. You, 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 with, okay. with, with respect to that, I'm a complete Kantian. I think you, one shouldn't lie. Right. Um, well, actually, I think there are absolutely situations where you should lie, but then it's a higher principle that uh, would, would you know, override that. But if you basically philosophically come to the conclusion that lying is not actually in your interest by and large, you know, all things being equal, and you internalize it, you basically acquire the, the virtue or the habit of not lying, then in the long run, that will be to your, your interest. And it's basically those uh, those virtues that you embody, that you automatize, um, that help you act in a certain way. And, and I think this is what guides morality. Now, you know, a moral compass can go very wrong, and it's, it's extremely difficult to change emotionally-based behavior. I mean, I think we all, we all know that, so, you know, deeply ingrained beliefs or behaviors are extremely difficult for us to change. Uh, on the other hand, uh, you mentioned South Africa, and um, uh, I was utterly 
surprised and amazed how quickly, um, if I can call it white South Africa, changed its mind about apartheid. I mean, there was a real, uh, you know, as people got exposed to, uh, you know, traveling overseas a lot more and getting, uh, getting external views, people who were deeply in, entrenched and had bought into apartheid, who you know, were raised in it, um, within just a few years, a uh, very large percentage of, of, of people actually really realized that it was immoral. And, you know, I didn't experience uh, in America how, um, you know, how, how it played out here. Um, but I, I certainly did experience in South Africa that, you know, there was a sort of a tipping point where people's minds really were changed. But but why are you getting surprised by things like that is what, I, what I'm trying to figure out. I mean, you said last time that you were surprised by how people in the United States got so feverishly patriotic and, and stupidly supportive. I mean, mm. that's stupidly is my word, but in support oh, of the oh, Iraqi I'll invasion. Buy, I'll buy that, yes. <laughs> and, and to me, uh, I mean, if you look at it historically, there's nothing surprising about that. I mean, it's, the same happened in Germany which Berlin was like the center of civilization before World War I. And, and mm. it happened almost overnight. And, and it dismayed and shocked Albert Einstein. The same happened in right. endless other examples where people, you know, now it's happening in Ukraine, uh, for example, between Russian Ukrainians or mm. you know, people who prefer to speak Russian and Ukrainians. It's, it's happening and it, it's happened in Rwanda between Tutsis and Hutu overnight almost. like. We know that this this thing happened. So, and the fact is that as it happens in a good way, which is was the post-apartheid South Africa, right. it can happen also in a bad way. Right. But I think we're also uh, both on the same page that things are getting better. I mean, I think that we probably of the same mind that you know civilization is is improving. And I would basically, uh, my argument would be that. Uh, an AI that we can actually trust that's useful, that has common sense, that has understanding, that understands human emotion, can can help us um, think these things through and make better suggestions um, will basically help accelerate that process. So may, may, maybe I don't need to put it any stronger than, than that way. I'm certainly not claiming that uh, having a human level or certain human level uh, AI will guarantee that everything comes out roses. I'm not making that claim. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm saying that there is a very strong tendency towards that um, and you know, maybe leave it that mm -hmm. uh, Now, let, let's say that I give you 100% the benefit of the doubt uh, and, and let's say that I accept your argument. Now, leave me the next step. So, is there not the possibility that we may actually not be able to either rationally comprehend the argument put forward to us by the AI or simply we might not be able to overcome our humanity as it were emotions and evolutionary baggage and so on in order to embrace the proposed course of action coming from the AI well really what we're still talking about is are we going to be in a better world are we going to be better off with AI than without it and um, you know, does it guarantee that um, AI will be able to, you know, talk enough sense to us that we don't do anything immoral? Well, probably not, you know. Uh, 
I'm sure there will be outliers. So really, I'm just saying, is it likely to be beneficial? And, and I, I would say strongly, yes, it is. So yeah, is it going to convince every person? Uh, no, probably not. And um, but you know, it will it, again. It will make more good information available to more people. My my take on it personally is that it may hopefully be necessary, but I don't think it will be sufficient to make that change. Um, well, it depends what what you're expecting as an outcome. I mean, if the the, the claim I'm making here uh, really is no more that it will be a very strong positive influence. Uh, you know, it's like having millions of really wise, smart teachers, Einsteins or whatever, you know, whoever your favorite character is, that you think you wish there were more people like it around, and that everybody can have their, their own personal moral uh, agent who can, who can talk sense to them. I have a few favorites like Gandhi, like, by the way, Socrates, who argued very much in support of what you've been arguing since the beginning that, you know, a rational individual uh, always benefits from being rational and from not lying and from telling the truth, etc., etc. Anyway, I think it's it's time for us to move on and, and talk about All right. something else. So let me give you a couple of quotes that I pulled out from our previous interviews that were absolutely fascinating, and and I want you to help us unpack them. So, the first one is this quote. You said this in in our previous interview. To me, free will is a solved problem. End of quote. Okay. Uh, yes. And, <laughs> Doesn't uh, it deserve a little bit more? <laughs> well, you know, the fact that philosophers have been debating about this for, you know, thousands of years and very smart people are still in, in disagreement over, over it right now. Clearly, uh, you know, um, it would indicate that it's not something, you know, I'm not going to say one or two sentences that'll, that'll be a knockdown argument for everyone. Actually, uh, the, the, the neatest comeback that I had to a very smart person I discussed it with many, many years ago. And I, you know, spent half an hour discussing my whole point of view and then sort of, what, what do you think? You know, and he said, sir, I don't, I, I don't have a need for that hypothesis, <laughs> free will, you know, so, uh, which, which I think is one neat way of, of actually dealing with it is just saying, let's just forget, forget about it. It's like the God hypothesis. No, I don't have a need for the yeah, free will. Razor. Yeah. Now, having said that, of course, I do argue uh, that compatibilism, you know, my position is a compatibilist uh, position. So uh, I do believe there is a meaningful concept of free will. So they, you know, the concept of free will understood correctly is a valid, meaningful, useful concept. So I do have a need for that hypothesis, if you want to put it that way. I don't, you know, I think it is, is, is useful. Though I, I sometimes, uh, I sometimes doubt uh, in, in debate whether I'd be better off calling myself a determinist and then giving a completely different word to what people describe or experience as, as free will. In fact, I, I sort of compromised a little bit. I don't know if that was a good or good idea or not. In, in Again, I have a lot, lengthy essay uh, on, uh, online as well on compatibilism. And I, I actually call it free will as a single word, free will as one word, um, to, to kind of distinguish it from free will, um, you know, the traditional thing. So I think the, the concept of free will needs to be understood of what is it actually in reality that gives rise to that concept? 
And I think once one understands what that is, it actually is compatible with determinism. But one also has to understand what you mean by determinism. Determinism, I think, um, we now know not to be a sort of simple billiard ball uh, cause and effect that you can calculate and, and uh, you know, uh, and, and basically everything is predestined in, in any meaningful way. So we now understand that um, part of modern determinism um, it, it includes uh, quantum mechanics, in, in, includes chaos theory. So we know inherently that the future is not predictable. Uh, not for lack of knowledge, but inherently, that it's inherently uh, not predictable. That thought uh, drove Einstein crazy. Yes, <laughs> but we, we, we kind of know that now. So uh, by putting those two things together, saying, you know, yes, determinism properly understood, um, and what it is in our, in our psychology, in our ability, in our, in our, really in our intelligence, that allows us to... Um, take responsibility for our actions in some meaningful way. That is the part that I call free will. The two are, the two are compatible. So, you know, animals, certainly lower animals, um, without getting into the debate of, you know, exactly how to cut it off or gray areas, do not have free will. They do not know what they're doing. We know what we're doing. And that, that is kind of the, um, the, the, the big difference. And so, yeah, so in my, my sense, Yes, the free will is a solved problem. Mm -hmm. There's there's many things I want to talk about there, uh, and I'm weighing that. But but also on the other end, the, the last thing you said kind of like really kind of surprised me because it again goes against my personal observations whether animals do know what they're doing. Uh, so so for example, yeah. my wife has a Yorkshire Terrier, mm -hmm. and she's a very pretentious, very suspicious little thing which it was the first test that I had to pass because she doesn't like anybody. And the moment I walked in the house for the first time ever, she absolutely loved me. So that was like very fortunate mm -hmm. for me. But she, when she does something bad, she knows it. And she goes and hides. Right. And she feels guilty. Mm -hmm. And she behaves guilty, right? Mm -hmm. And then right. she tries, she comes and she sort of tries to sort of soften yeah. you up. Yeah, apologize, mm -hmm. if you will. Yeah. Um, yeah, again, I would urge you if we want to have a deeper discussion on that to, to sort of, you know, read my, my essay on it and one could then, one could zero in on where exactly the differences are. You know, it's, it, it's clearly, you know, especially higher, high level mammals and, and I mean, dogs are specifically bred to, to push our emotional buttons and to communicate with us and, and, and all of that. So it wouldn't be surprising that you would, uh, sort of see behavior that correlates strongly with human behavior in, in, in dogs. Um, Very good point. But yesterday, yeah. for example, there was a, a run out of a bunch of apes from a zoo. I don't know right. if it was in Chicago or somewhere and where right. the instigator, as it was called, right. found a, a tool or a ladder mm -hmm. that basically he put near the fence and sort of was the first to jump and sort of call all the other apes to follow right, him. Right. And then 12 yeah. of them managed to escape. Yeah, it's a very interesting field to, to, to study animal uh, intelligence, yeah. you know, and just where the, the boundaries are and the borders are. And there's, mm -hmm. there are surprises on both ends. You know, there are surprises of how much there is, you know, how, you know, that there is somebody at home in, in certain respects and how little somebody is at home in other yeah. respects. And yeah. uh, so it's clearly not 
you know, a, a black and white thing uh, that, you know, there is sort of the single free will thing, but it is very much related to intelligence and the ability to form abstract concepts and particularly the self-concept so that we are aware of the fact that we are an acting entity in some meaningful way. We are the instigators of chains of actions, causal chains, and in that way we are uh, we can take responsibility for those those actions mm -hmm. and and that is you know not true to any significant extent in animals mm -hmm. yeah um, so so just for the record for those of us who may not have yet uh, read your paper mm -hmm. do you believe that we have free will or not well Again, it's a, very important to get your the meaning of your words as you said what yeah. free will is and, and yeah. what the well as i said as i said at the beginning of this this section that i've gone through phases where i've said i'd be better off saying there is no such thing as free will uh, but there's something else that you know is similar to free will but we'll give it a different name so there is a, a very significant and important ability um, that humans have cognitive ability that humans have that i think is reasonably described by the concept of free will but if people get their knickers in a knot and and you know you know really want to if it's easier to communicate with somebody by saying okay I'll I'll agree we don't have free will let's put that aside and we can move on you know there's no certainly I don't believe there's some something as the traditionally understood free will of being a causal you know the kind of free will that's in competition to determinism uh, so so quite clearly I do believe that and and maybe that cuts through it quicker than anything else is that. Um, a digital computer can have free will. I have no doubt about that. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. So that that kind of cuts you know through through the argument. I mean, I'm not even relying on quantum uncertainty or you know any, anything anything weird and wonderful. So so how can you unpack this? How can say my digital computer have free? No, will? yours can't. My okay. Which 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 <laughs> one which is not a quantum computer, but a no, normal von Neumann machine? can have a free will well one that has uh, one that has human level intelligence basically agi once we get to agi um and and that i don't know if if, if that's going to be your next question about consciousness because exactly. that's much of a controversial absolutely uh, you, you guessed it that's exactly the um, sort of but <laughs> to to me agi reaching human level intelligence automatically implies that it will have free will of the of the kind that are that are described uh, and it also automatically uh, implies that it will have consciousness, will have be aware of itself as a thinking entity. Mm -hmm. So I got two, you sort of totally guessed the direction that I was trying to steer you in. Uh, and my evil plan was, of course, to, to talk to you afterwards about two other quotes that I pulled from our previous right. interviews. And one goes like this. Again, consciousness, that's a quote. Consciousness, that's a solved problem. And the other one is, quote, the primary, the primacy of consciousness has to be garbage, end of quote. Mm -hmm. So would you please unpack those for us? Okay, so let's, let's do the epistemology one first, uh, or metaphysics ontology. Um, consciousness means being aware of something. So there, there has to be a consciousness that is, that exists, so, you know, basically self-refuting to say that consciousness, um, consciousness has to exist, so existence has to come before consciousness. Um, now, 
what we know of reality and how well we know reality is a whole nother debate. You know, I mean, how directly we perceive, we know we don't perceive reality directly, it's we perceive it through our senses. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, consciousness, consciousness means being aware of something. So things have to exist and existence is, uh, you know, it's, it's primary. So I'm not sure that I need to say more about that. Again, you know, philosophers have argued about that for uh, millennia. And uh, it's not going to be something I'm going to put people at, at, at ease, but uh, or, or convince people, you know, in, in a few sentences here. But um, it's you, you know, basically anybody who says, "Well, there's a primacy of consciousness," that basically I'm just imagining things. Well, I basically stop talking to them if they really want to persist in that, because and they're just imagining having the discussion with me. So. They're not really having a discussion, so let them just go and dream on, you know. <laughs> they don't really need me for it. Okay, but some of us are actually interested to find out because, you know, I'm open-minded, I, I especially when it comes to, like, let's say I'm a little bit more inflexible with when it comes to ethics, but when it comes to free will and it comes to consciousness, I am kind of more embracing of the beginner's mind. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm totally willing to... Yeah. Consider and embrace your point of view. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's probably as much as I can say without repeating myself on, on consciousness that, you know, it's basically self-refuting, uh, that, uh, believing that there's a primacy of consciousness. Um, and um, as far as machines, machines go, uh, saying it's a solved problem, um, it, it depends on what part of the problem one is addressing. I think there are a lot of computer scientists and people who are in, into AGI or, um, uh, you know, just high-level AI who are reasonably happy to say that a machine can be aware of itself and, and so on, and they don't have a problem with that. So usually what it, to those people, what it comes down to is what they call the hard problem, and that's basically qualia. Yeah. And I don't know how much I mentioned uh, last time about that, but I, I think it's essentially a, a problem that the philosophers have created for themselves. By David him. Chalmers, perhaps, in particular. Yeah, well, it goes, it, I mean, it came before him, but yes, he, I think he, he tied it very nicely into, into you know, a huge knot that people <laughs> find, uh, I, I find it absolutely amazing that um, they now have the 20th, there's just been the 20th, um, year of uh, towards the science of consciousness in Tucson. Uh, I was actually at the second conference 19 years ago, uh, and I think I went to two subsequent ones, and it was just absolutely amazing. I mean, there were these most brilliant people in the world. There were about a thousand people attending. Have you ever been to to one of them? No, but I was. I almost went, uh, and, and I was actually originally invited to moderate one of the sessions this year. Yeah. But then Dr. Stuart Kamarov kind of changed his mind or forgot about it or whatever right. happened. So it turns out I'm not going. Uh, okay. It's only going to be in about 10 days from now, right? On oh, April right. 21st. I, I, I didn't keep track of whether it's already yeah, happened. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's going to be in 10 days from now. And I actually went and I interviewed in person uh, Stuart right. Kamarov, specifically on hmm. consciousness and on quantum consciousness. Right. So, um, yeah, I found it really fascinating. So the, you have, you know, a thousand people attending and you have a hundred speakers or something with parallel tracks. I mean, it was really a, a big affair. 
And speaker after speaker gets up on stage, and these are people basically studying consciousness, and you know the conference is called Towards a Science of Consciousness. And speaker after speaker gets up on stage, and usually the first thing they say is, we really have no idea what consciousness is. And then they spend another 40 minutes giving their opinion about consciousness. You know, I, I, I find that really weird. Um, now, of course, there are some scientists who have made it their career to try and unpack consciousness. Uh, I, I like Marvin Minsky's um, description of consciousness being a suitcase word. It's basically lots of different things that somebody just threw in a suitcase, you know, and then put the label consciousness on it. Do you know, um, Adam, what's his definition of consciousness? Uh, I don't think I remember that now. Let me see if I can remember the exact words. Chronic muscle tension, if I remember it correctly. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, that's a new one to me. Um, <laughs> any, anyway, so, you know, what, uh, so, yeah, it, it really is surprising to me that there is so much of a debate, but it just shows the, the, the confusion of what people are actually talking about. I mean, um, I, I find sort of a simple way, and again, it's not going to satisfy anybody quickly. It's, you know, it's a difficult uh, controversial topic um, is, is if you just use the word awareness, it kind of helps already to take some of the sting or some of the mysticism out of, out of it. And basically people have awareness and how people differ from animals, um, certainly lower animals, is that we have a, an awareness of ourselves and our thought processes. Um, you know, whereas animals will would bite their tail off it if it didn't if, if it didn't hurt them, but they don't really have a good concept of where their body starts or ends, um, and um, they're not much less aware of of any thought processes, emotions, or so on that they can take into reason. So we have the introspection. So we are aware of ourselves as a thinking entity, as a physical entity. We are aware of our emotions to some extent. We are aware of our thought process to some extent. That's what consciousness is. And the qualia thing, um, the hard problem of consciousness, is basically just, as I was saying, philosophers tying themselves into, in, into a knot. And sort of the, the quick answer is that um, you know, you have um, what's it like to be a bat, you know, or what's it like to see red. Basically, the problem is it's an experience that we have, which we are trying to describe in terms of some other experience that we share with the listener. So, you know, if, if I, if somebody, you know, if, if I was asked, well, what's it like to be a woman, or somebody tried to explain to me what it's like to be a woman, well, you know, how do you describe that? So you describe it in terms of some other common experiences that you have, you know, and depending on what, where the person is coming from, you may succeed in that. But, you know, it's not some ultimate mystery of qualia. You know, there's this qualia of womanhood or manhood or whatever. Yeah, sure. You can't pin it down, you know, exactly and describe it. So you can only explain it to somebody in terms of shared experience. Um, so if, you know, if you never come across a woman, you know, you grew up in some, I don't know, um, place where they, you know, only, only where, they only, where they took boys and raised them separately from, from women, you know, yeah, you would, you would have no reference point to, to describe it. And that's really the, the whole thing that qualia is about. It's nothing, nothing more than that, is you're trying to describe the experience of seeing red or green or whatever it is you're trying to describe in qualia in terms of something else. And 
you know, that's just very limited. And that's all. That's, that's all there's to it. End of story. Uh-huh. And if if a, if an AI um, has sense organs and had a very complex emotional experience related to sensing things, uh, basically if the senses were intertwined and triggered lots of different states, then you know one robot could say to another robot, "Well, w- what's it like to touch a hot plate?" You know, well, it depends on your sense organs and how you wire it up. You know, so it's it's just like you know, touch, touching it with your foot, except it's on your hand, you know, or whatever, you know. If there is some common experience, you can explain it. If there isn't common experience, then you, you really struggle. Mm-hmm. Very good point there, Peter. Unfortunately, time is advancing again. So, so let me ask you this kind of concluding our conversation. We've, we've talked today for about 45 or 50 minutes about three issues this time, and that allowed us to get a little bit more into depth. So, do you think there's any value in that, whether with respect to our previous conversation that gravitated more with respect to artificial general intelligence, or in general even beyond that? Is there any benefit to philosophizing about those oh, topics? Oh, absolutely. I'm a, I'm a great fan of, uh, of philosophy and discussion and debate. Um, and, you know, I've certainly learned a lot listening to other people. Uh, it is, however, extremely, extremely difficult um, because uh, people need to have the motivation and the openness. They need to be in a place in their, their, their lives to be interested and motivated and open to a, a particular topic, a particular point of view. So it's a very ineffective and inefficient uh, way of doing it. But I, I absolutely think it's uh, it, it, it's worthwhile, and I, I actually have arranged many, several uh, discussion groups and salons uh, over the last thirty years, in fact, with many different people and all sorts of topics. You know, from has marriage outlived its usefulness to qualia, you know, and uh, philosophy, politics, and so on. So, absolutely, I think it's, um, well, we, but it's extremely difficult to make it productive. Yeah, you see, when you say stuff like that, makes me feel so regretful that I live in the other end of the continent because I would have loved, absolutely mm-hmm. loved to be able to join you in, in some of those discussions. Mm-hmm. It would have been absolutely a blast, I think. Um, anyway, uh, so I, I, I still, uh, I'll, I'll be leaving today with the thought that perhaps we'll have that opportunity one day sooner rather than later. All right. Um, well, if you if you're at the AGI conference in uh, August, I will be I will be there. So we could meet in person there. If... Well, I, I let let me leave it at this. I hope that I will be there. We're currently talking with Hank about that, and I think he may have already spoken to you about it, or will soon. Yeah. No, I'm so, talking about I'm talking about Ben Goodsell's uh, AGI conference in in Canada. In oh, Quebec. in Quebec City. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, I, I was looking at that uh, recently, but uh, I was unimpressed by the organization and the sort of the slowness of the logistics and the details and the speakers and the program. I don't know. Well, are you among the organizers? Did I just criticize you badly? <laughs> no, I'm not at all. And in fact, I I didn't even look at the program. I'm not really interested in the program. It's just catching up with uh, people there. So yeah, I'd but be going... I can't even see who are most of the people who are going there because they're not listed. There's 
yeah, I don't. I think I, I think they're still trying to put that together. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking but, forward to it. I, I I'm, I'm dying to be there personally. I, so I, I, I hope to to meet you there. Right. Anyway, uh, let me ask you this: uh, What are your parting parting thoughts today? What, what, what? How, how do you want to close this? Today? Oh, I need to need to give words of wisdom again. Of wow. course, of twice, course, twice I, in that, a row. Okay, I get let's... you here to put you on the hot seat. I mean, this is All not right. just a walk in the park. I mean, okay. Well, I, I tell you, my my mind is uh, very, very much focused on building AGI. Um, in the middle of that, uh, I think there's nothing more exciting or more important to do. And I, I believe it's, uh, it can happen in a relatively short time, I, you know, less than 10 years. And um, I'm working very hard at that. So any, anybody who's interested in that, um, let's talk. You know, let's make this happen. Fantastic, Peter. And, and on my part, I want to just say that it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on my show. I do wish you all the very best and good luck uh, towards your goal. Uh, I will definitely sort of uh, watch you as, as it were, because unfortunately, I'm not one of those people like you who, who would make it happen, but I'm one of those people who are very interested in the implications. Um, and, and so I wish you good luck uh, and we'll all be just like my audience. We'll be watching you and, and, uh, probably we'll get together again soon. All right. Excellent. Well, thanks. Thanks for the uh, second interview. And that uh, was fun. Thank you all very right. much. Thanks. I think the pleasure was mine. Yeah.